As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Learn the basics, learn that foundation so you can avoid a lot of mistakes, but then you've got to take action and just anything you think you don't know, experience is the best teacher, and then you can leverage it on the next deal. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. 
For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best of your listeners, and welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Theo Hicks, and today we'll be speaking with Mitch Jaworski. Mitch, how are you doing today? Doing awesome. Glad to be here. Thanks for joining us. Looking forward to our conversation. But before we hop into that, let's go over Mitch's background. So he's a full-time real estate investor and owner of ScaredyCatsGuide.com. He has six years of real estate investing experience and his portfolio consists of rentals. He's also done flips and wholesales. He's based in Palm Beach, Florida. And his website, as I already mentioned, is ScaredyCatGuide.com. So Mitch, do you mind telling us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on today? Sure. So I think like everyone else, you evolve in your investing. So I went from being a full-time day trader and addicted to the stock market to getting into real estate and really realizing real estate's the best investment out there. I'm proud to say I've invested in pretty much everything. And I found that real estate is the one asset class where you have the most control over the results of your investment. And then also you don't have to be a rocket scientist to do well in real estate. You really don't. As long as you know the basic principles, everything after that is more situational and just getting creative as opposed to other investments like stocks where you can get crazy algorithm computers and stuff trading. So it's one of the reasons I really love real estate. And for me, I started out just straight. First property was basically turnkey rental. And as I progressed, I started falling into what was really my bread and butter, the Burr strategy. Most people know buy, renovate, rent, refinance. I love it for the value add component. And that's mainly what I do is uh, value add rentals. But if the money's right, I will flip. Recently, I had what was supposed to be a rental that I realized just was much more beneficial financially to turn into a flip. So we flipped it. We're on the contract. We're supposed to close sometime next week. I'm looking forward to that. And yeah, wholesaling. It's funny when you're a real estate investor, you look to connect with wholesalers to find you deals. But when you press pause, I guess in a certain market, you're not acquiring that market, those wholesales are still hitting you up. So because of that, I generally started co-wholesaling because I have a network of people in, in the different markets I'm in. So I was able to co-wholesale a few deals, which is nice because you connect two people, it's a win-win and you make a little fee in the process. So that's saying that your network is your net worth. I'm living it right now. So it's pretty cool. And to have my hands in the three big different facets of real estate investing has been fun considering day one, it was kind of just turnkey rental and then just evolve from there. Once you decided that you were going to move from your day trading to real estate, what was the first thing that you did to get the ball rolling on doing your first deal? Well, I'd like to say I made a clean break, but I still do a bit of day trading. <laughs> Can't get rid of the bug. But I always had a financial background. Uh, I have an economics degree. So I knew nothing about real estate when I started. It was just, all right, if I can bring enough rent to cover my mortgage, my taxes, my insurance, I should be okay. Now, anyone that's experienced in real estate, we know there's a bunch of stuff that's left out right there. So that's what I did. The irony is I actually found a tenant before I found my first property. And I did what a lot of people say you're never supposed to do, rent to family or friends. So the short version is a buddy of mine's dad was renting a house. It was being foreclosed on because I guess his landlord wasn't paying the mortgage. So I said, if I find a place that's the same size and I can rent it to you for the same price, would you want to rent it for me? And hands down, he was ready to go. 
So that's what I did. So I found a property essentially that would fit my tenant. He moved in. He lived there for five and a half years, which is great. No turnover. And I actually sold that property last year, which was bittersweet in a way, but it was great. I had one tenant. It was in South Florida. So the appreciation was pretty much out of control. It was awesome. And I've used that money to roll into different markets. I'm investing a lot in middle of Massachusetts now. I'm starting to invest in middle Pennsylvania. So I went from being very local to now almost exclusively investing out of state. I haven't bought a property in Palm Beach County, Florida since 2017 because numbers got to work and the numbers just don't work in that area. You can find some stuff wholesale here and there, which is why I have a good wholesaler network down there. But I always tell people, if the numbers don't work in your area, you have two choices. You can grind and work off market deals and find something that does, or you can go find a market that does work and just get over the fact that you're not going to be able to drive by your property every day. Because as a new investor, we all want to be able to see our property all the time. There's a reason I have a brand called Scaredy Cat, because my first three properties were all within a three mile radius of my home. And now six years later, I'm basically buying things out of state, almost sight unseen. I have boots on the ground that are my eyes, but it's still not me getting in there and doing it myself. So anyone can progress really with real estate is I think the big takeaway I've learned, at least from my experience, no matter how scared you are, because I really was control freak, scaredy cat. Like I have to see it. I have to touch it. I have to be in control. And now I use property management. I buy out of state. So I think that's just a big thing I'd like to share is if you have the fear, just push through it because we've all been there. And I especially am a big example of it. Really quickly, I want to talk about the out-of-state business, but just really quickly, how did you find that first deal in South Florida? Was it on market? Was it off market? It was straight newbie status. I had a realtor that I played basketball with, and he had worked with some investors. And I told him that I was thinking about grabbing something to turn into a rental. And mind you, I was still renting an apartment at the time. I bought my first rental property before I bought my own personal home because I wanted an asset that generated income. You know, I was always, like I said, a financial guy and stocks are great, but outside of maybe some dividend stocks, how are you generating income without grinding and making transactions? So that buddy I played ball with basically started looking for stuff for me and found something that was in my price range that would make sense with the rent I knew I could get and scooped it up. And like I said, that's why I was pretty much turnkey. I bought it for a regular homeowner and I pretty much just got in there and had a handyman repaint it. And that was about it. Then my buddy's dad moved in and I learned how to be a landlord from there. And he definitely gave me uh, some learning experiences. Good guy, but sometimes a little late with the rent and Mm -hmm. things like that. So I got my landlord certificates on that one, I'd like to say. There we go. All right. So you've got this deal in South Florida. You sell it, or maybe you started the process of investing out of state before you sold that deal. My question is, can you walk us through from similar to what I said for the first deal? Once you decided that you're going to start investing out of state, what was the first step you took? And then from there, how did you build it to the point where you're confident in buying deals? Because again, you are the scaredy cat guy. You're uh, confident I, you know, and, in, in buying those deals out of state. <laughs> and you know what? As an investor, you're always going to push that inner scaredy cat because now buying properties out of state doesn't scare me. But now I've pushed the envelope with different types of creative financing and things that I thought I would quote unquote never do that now I'm comfortable with that years ago. Oh my God. So the first answer is it's a personal answer in that 
everyone has a bit of a different process in that for me, I generally look for areas where I have some kind of network possibly already. Maybe I have an old friend, maybe I have a old business associate, or maybe it's someone I've met just through a lot of the real estate groups, whether it's Facebook or just everything's virtual now. So you can do a real meetings all over the country, which I really suggest people leverage right now while everyone's doing things from Zoom. But I'm always going to check the market though. So kind of the basic, what's the population growth? Is there any? Anything that's got a declining population, out the window. I want growing, if it's an appreciation market, if it's a cash flow market, I want it to be at least flat where I invest in a market in Massachusetts, the population hasn't changed in 20 years. And that's exactly what I want because it's a cash flow market. No one comes, no one leaves, they just stay in rent and it's perfect. So I would definitely suggest make sure the population isn't declining. I obviously keep an eye on overall crime compared to the national average. I want it at or below the average. And then from there, you find your town. Everyone's got preference, A, B, C, class markets. I generally find myself in kind of like the B minus C plus is my sweet spot. Some people are willing to go into areas that offer better cash flow, but maybe you have more problems. And then other people just want that A class straight. I'm gambling on appreciation and it's a personal decision in the end. So like I said, as long as I don't see any red flags of population crime and the numbers have to work, I'll start looking for average rents versus your average listing price. Can I buy things on the MLS? If I can, then it's like even better. Or do I have to start working the off markets and finding local wholesalers? But the one thing I always will do once I locate markets, I take a trip. I'm going to go there. I'm going to check out the market. I'm going to almost drive for dollars that town and then decide if I want to move forward. I'm going to try and meet with as many people as I can. I'm going to use a realtor. I'm going to meet a realtor. If I'm looking at properties, I know we're going to need specific work. I'll try and contact contractors and see even if any are willing to go look at a property with me. Tough. They're usually busy, which is a good thing. You want a busy contractor. If your contractor is completely free all the time, that's generally a sign that he might not be a good contractor. So I like that sometimes I have to chase after my contractor, not in terms of completing a job, in terms of getting a hold of him and getting him scheduled for a job, because then I know he's busy and he's in demand. So you always take the good with the bad. So anyone that can drop everything on demand for you, either A, it's because you're paying them the most, or B, it's because they don't have enough work. You also look at property managers when they're in there, when they're driving there for dollars, look at so, so, um, companies too, or is that later? I will try and line that up if I can, especially because you'd be surprised at how much you can learn from local property management. They have their finger on the pulse of that area as they should. So they can kind of direct you and give you information on different neighborhoods. But more importantly, what I've noticed is there's a lot of property managers that are good at what they do that might invest a little bit or want to invest, but just either aren't in a position to financially, or they have that mental block. They're able to manage properties. Great. But for some reason they have this mental block on financially, I can't do that. Or it's, I don't want to take that risk doing private money or whatever it is. And those people are great because generally they also have good lead. They know that there's properties that are out there that are either for sale or properties that they can point you to that clearly are either vacant, overgrown grass. And they have a whole clientele already of people that are managing properties for. And some of those people may be looking to unload pieces of their portfolio. The greatest is if they have a client in their 60s or 70s, please introduce me. <laughs> because that person's generally looking to wind down at that point. They've owned stuff for 20, 30 years. So again, it goes back to these advantages to networking. So yeah. I will definitely do that. If I have boots on the ground, someone I'm partnering with, if they have any experience, a lot of times what I'll do is if I'm being the main financial partner, then all right, you're doing some management and some sweat equity. And that's how this deal is going to work. 
So I've had that happen as well. That's what I have in Massachusetts. Luckily, my partner has the ability to property manage. But when I look at deals, though, I'll always factor in that 8 to 10% for property management because at some point, it'll be hands-off for all parties involved, and I still need the cash flow to be right. So that's something that I think a lot of people forget to do early on too, if they're like, oh, I'm going to self-manage. I want the experience. Well, still factor in property management because you want to take your hands off the wheel at some point and you don't want to basically cash flow negative when you add in the property management. How are you funding the deals? Is it all you? Do you have money partners? So early on, it was all me. When I first started, I was able to get traditional loans a little easier because I had the tax documents and all that good stuff. When I went full-time investing, then you know how that goes. No nice 1099 or W-2. So that's when I started going private money. But for the most part, I've used my own personal capital plus an equity line on my primary residence to fund most of my deals. And then what I'll do is as soon as they complete it, I'll refi out into a long-term loan. But recently I've started to ramp up acquisition mode. So now I've started to use the same, I call them private lenders. It's kind of like that secondary market, like the no to low doc loans, they lend to you and your LLC. So a lot of those firms, they offer short-term products. So I'm starting to leverage those. And they're similar to fix and flip loans, but you get better terms than you would with hard money. So luckily I've been able to get away with not using hard money yet, which there's nothing wrong with if it gets you the deal. But as we know, hard money, very expensive, usually 12%, two to three points. If you're newer, sometimes it's even higher than that. So yeah, primarily funded with my own capital, my personal equity line. And then I've been using these secondary lenders to either refinance and cash out or to do like 12 to 24 month fix and flip loans that are at favorable rates compared to hard money. Okay, Mitch, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Oh man, do we have an hour? (laughs) Really? The short version is get started, take action. I do a lot of meetups in South Florida. I co-host a couple of them and we have a good mix of veterans and newbies, but the things that kills me the most is when you see newbies come in and they're thirsty for knowledge and we were all there. I binge listened to this podcast and Bigger Pockets and several other podcasts my first year. And it was just like, absorb the knowledge, absorb the knowledge. But if you don't do anything with it, and in the end, the single sentence I can give someone for best advice is experience is the best teacher. So get that knowledge. Listen to the best ever podcast. Heck, jump on scaredycat.com and read all the blog posts I've written over the last four years. Get as much knowledge as you can. But in the end, you have to take action because not only will you not move forward if you don't take action, but also there's going to be unique experiences you have. Like Theo, me and you could sit in a room with 20 newbies and they could ask us questions all day. But you know what? Each one of them are going to have an experience at some point that you and I have not experienced in our real estate investing career. Because in the end, it becomes a personal experience. Everyone's goals are different. Every property you buy might have a different surprise that we haven't come across. So get the knowledge, especially if you're new. Learn the basics, learn that foundation so you can avoid a lot of mistakes, but then you've got to take action. And just anything you think you don't know, experience is the best teacher, and then you can leverage it on the next deal. Oh yeah, perfect advice. All right, Mitch, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Heck yeah, let's do it. All right, first, a quick word from our best ever partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. 
When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. Okay, Mitch, what is the best ever book you've recently read? Well... I'm biased, so I can't say my book, <laughs> but I just finished one actually that my good buddy Galter Amarello, he's a just awesome real estate investor and we kind of share resources so much. And he told me about a book called Big Shifts Ahead. And I devoured that book. And what it is, is it's basically a demographics book. It's just straight data and demographics and recognizing trends. And it altered my opinion in regards to what I think the real estate market might do over the next three to five years, because based on the data in that book, there's going to be a boom in household formation. It already started based on, because the book's a few years old. It already started, but we're going to see a big jump in the next three years in the number of new households formed, which means more demand for housing. And we already have a supply shortage. So even if we run into some kind of foreclosure wave, there's going to be a ton of demand out there and it's going to continue over the next few years. So that kind of blew my mind. And that's just one little example. I really recommend the book. It's so much information that really will help you recognize trends and understand why they exist. And they do generations, but they do decades. So from the thirties all the way to two thousands and how those people think and why based on their experiences. So just great book. If your business were to collapse today, what would you do next? Ugh. Hopefully I never have to really think about that. But honestly, first thing, if I'm going to stick with real estate, I'd pick up the phone and I start dialing for dollars and trying to do wholesale deals. Just get on that phone, start dialing and do some wholesale deals to generate some capital to get right back into what I was doing. Tell us about a time that you lost money on a deal. How much did you lose? And then what lesson did you learn? Well, since I'm a scaredy cat, it's probably more of an opportunity cost. No one's going to probably believe me, but I have never lost money on a deal. And I'm very proud to say that, but it's also because I was such a scaredy cat and there's several deals that I look back on and just, it's one of those, why did I not do that deal? And I was scared of something that turned me off that made me think I might lose money. So the biggest thing for me has been opportunity cost. There's a few deals I look back on where I just didn't pull the trigger because I ended up being scared and I look back on them and they were home runs. So my biggest loss is really just that opportunity cost. I've been blessed otherwise to just have all winners so far. Well, tell us about your biggest win. What's the best deal you've done? There's a couple, I guess, that would fight for it. So I guess I'll just pick one because it's fresh in my mind. Uh, I did a duplex with a partner. We got it late last year. It fell to us. It's a property we looked at earlier in the year. We didn't make an offer on it because we were going to lowball the heck out of them. It went on the contract. And I saw it come back to market about three months later. So we made a low ball offer on it. They didn't take it. I guess it went on the contract that fell through and then they ended up contacting us. So at this point we looked at it in January and we ended up going on the contract for it in October. So it fell to us and we ended up grabbing it for just over a hundred thousand. It was a duplex. We put 25,000 into it and it just refied actually about a month ago for two thirty. So it's always nice to, when you can generate 100K in equity on something that doesn't need a ton of work. And the biggest issue with that one was when COVID hit, it was when we were looking to refinance. 
So we ended up being delayed three months on our refinance because you know how that when everything tightened up, especially the secondary lenders, a lot of them went out of business. So just sat and collected good cash flow and had capital tied up. But it ended up being still an awesome deal. And that capital is actually going to work now. We're negotiating a deal this week off market that hopefully we can get locked up by Friday. What is the best ever way you like to give back? Honestly, I love teaching. It's the reason I wrote a book and I'm part of four different real estate meetups. It's not like there's an admission or anything. It's just investors getting together and there's always a lot of newbies and I share everything I can. They ask questions. A lot of those people that come to these meetups, they'll email me with questions here and there and I'm happy to help. I just enjoy teaching and I really enjoy when someone basically makes a better choice or doesn't make a mistake because of some kind of advice I gave them. I don't know why that just juices me up. It makes me happy. So just teaching, really. I love teaching and seeing people be able to do better and not make the mistakes I made because in real estate, mistakes in the end, they cost money. That's all there is to it. And then lastly, what's the best ever place to reach you? So you mentioned the website, securitycatguide.com. Obviously, people can find my contact information on that website along with, I write a weekly real estate blog. So plenty of education there and can email me directly at info at securitycatguide.com. Perfect, Mitch. Well, thanks again for joining us and and walking us through your journey and kind of what you've been up to. Some of the biggest takeaways I got was I liked your thoughts on the contractor and how if you reach out to a contractor and he drops everything and comes to do whatever you need to do, it's not necessarily a good sign. It's actually good to have a contractor who's busy. You also mentioned your best ever advice, which was to get started. A lot of people can understand that. It's important to consume content. It's important to read books and gain knowledge. But at the end of the day, you're going to go through something that you didn't read in a book. And the only yes. way to know how to get through that is to do it. <laughs> and, then, and, and, and just to interject one thing sure. to add to that advice is that learn how to run the numbers. Use a property calculator. There's one on my website, but there's tons of them anywhere. Just use a property calculator. Make sure you know how to run the numbers to see if a property is going to cash flow. Because if it doesn't mm-hmm. look like it's going to cash flow, don't waste time looking at it or know you need to negotiate it way down. That's what I see people doing now in hot markets is overpaying. So run your numbers. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then the other thing was about management companies and how property management companies obviously primarily will help you manage the property once you buy it, but they're also really good sources of leads too, because they are not only tapped into the market and maybe will see distressed properties and tell you about those. So they're kind of good bird dogs, but they're also good because they have clients and they will know if you're selling a property, you're going to let your property management company no, oh, yeah. they're, they're one of the first people you know, hey, I'm selling this property, so prepare to lose <laughs> this property. So yes, they're, they're a great source their, for deals. In their best interest to get it sold to another client. Boom, there you go. And then the metrics you look at when you are considering a new market out of state. So you said that you'll start at places you already know someone, so a friend, a work colleague. That way you have at least some existing network in the area. And then you look at things to make sure that there is a not a population decline. You don't necessarily need a population growth to give the example of a market where it hasn't grown in 20 years, people never leave. So those are still good markets for cash flow. Yes. You look at crime, and then it's a very personal decision on the class of neighborhood that you invest in. Obviously, you'll also look at average rents versus the average list price to see if it's possible to get deals on the MLS, which is amazing. And if not, then you'll need to network with the local wholesalers. So lots of great information. Make sure you check out his website. Again, that's scaredycatguide.com. Link will be in the show notes as well. Thanks again for joining us. Best of listeners, as always, thank you for listening. 
Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow.